said, welcome back to another episode of Leslie Said What and a new season. Can you guys believe it? This is season three. Okay, guys. Now, FYI, season three is going to be unlike any season that you guys have ever experienced on Leslie Said What because the limits are coming off and we're going to talk about it all. Starting with tonight, tonight's topic is sex in marriage is not, aka I repeat, is not a prison sentence, okay? That's not how it works. And I have brought on, oh my goodness, my, I'm super excited, my special guest, Miss Sheila, okay, let me see it, Gregoire, ha, I finally got it right, guys. I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. Who knew, right? I mean, figured. Um, so I have her coming on. So guys, as always, Feel free to join the conversation. We want you guys to be interactive. Heads up in the comments. Feel free to chat. Let us know you're here. Say hello so we can say hello. And um, also, like I said, just remember that this is a laid back environment. It is comfortable. It is informal. We want you guys to feel free to ask away. All right. Now, without further ado, let me go ahead and read her bio, guys. So I got to tell you about her. I got to tell you who she is. So Ms. Sheila uh, Gregoire is passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex. A popular speaker, marriage blogger, and award-winning author of seven books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. She wants to challenge Christians to go beyond pat answers on marriage to reach real intimacy. Sheila believes in authenticity and gives real solutions to the very real and messy problems women and couples can face. She and her husband, Keith, spend a lot of their time touring North America in an RV, speaking at marriage conferences, hiking, and bird watching. The, par- the parents to two adult daughters, you can usually find her in Belleville, Ontario, where she's either knitting, blogging, or taking her grandson out for a walk. So guys, are you guys ready? You know you're ready. Without further ado, okay, I'm going to bring in Miss Sheila Gregoire. Hello. We are going to have some fun. We are going to have some fun. This is going to be awesome. Yes. Okay, guys. So like I said before, ask away, ask away. Oh, hey. Hey, Hey, Natalie. It's so good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Natalie, you're supportive as always, girl. Thanks for being here. All right, guys, so get ready to take the limits off. Here we go. We are going to discuss this. Uh, Sheila, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, so I blog at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. I start off as a mommy blogger, and then the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so I became like the Christian sex lady, which is weird because no one grows up thinking, hey, I want to be the Christian sex lady. Like, that's just an odd thing to do. <laughs> but- right. I practice saying clitoris and ejaculation in the mirror, and now I'm pretty good at it. So here we go. <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. I love it. No, it's so crazy because whenever I say um, clitoris or ejaculation in class, because I teach sex ed at the high school level, mm-hmm. it's so funny because the kids' faces. But it's amazing how even amongst in the church world and amongst married couples, you still get mm-hmm. that like, oh, my God, she said that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those like taboo topics, you know, yep. and it yep. shouldn't be. And that's yep. the thing. People are like, oh, get your mind out of the gutter. Well, when it comes to marriage, it should not be a matter of being in the gutter. You know, kind of mm-hmm. want to reside in the gutter a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. Just putting that out there. <laughs> well, yes, Sheila, we thank you so much for being here. And guys, FYI, this disclaimer is to let you know that this is not for, um, I'm going to say, unmature adults this is like for a mature adult audience 
And it doesn't mean you have to be married. Those who are maybe engaged, they may be single, who just need to know and, and kind mm-hmm. of like take away some of those norms that have been accepted by the church that should not be considered a norm, okay, as mm-hmm. far as sex and marriage. I'm just putting that out there, guys, because again, sex is not a prison sentence in marriage. It should not be, nor should it ever, okay? Mm-hmm. And again, feel free to join the conversation. So Sheila, jumping right in, um, I know growing up for me, this scripture was often... Um, <laughs> <laughs> often quoted uh, to tell women that when it comes to sex and marriage, that they never should um, hold back from their husband because his body, be- our bodies belong to him. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those of mm-hmm. you who are listening, they're like, wait, what now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that comes from first Corinthians seven, five that, that people use it. Okay. But mm-hmm. Sheila, if you could clear up a little bit on that one. Yeah, sure. So here, here's, let me give you a bit of background. So, um, Last year, we did the largest survey of evangelical women and their sex lives that's ever been done. 130 questions, 20,000 women, super, super invasive. (laughs) And um, what we were looking for is, are there certain beliefs that are hurting women's sex lives that are hurting like, yeah, just, just our marital satisfaction and our sexual satisfaction. And we found that there were. And one of them relates to the way this verse is misused. And if I can go even back to verse three of first Corinthians seven, it says, um, the husband must fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. Um, and the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. And then it goes on to this, do not deprive or defraud you not one and one another. So we're not supposed to deprive or defraud each other. And that's been taken to set, tell women, see, you need to have sex with him whenever he wants. But does it actually say that? Nope. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And do you know what the very next verse is? No one ever tells you what verse six is. You know what verse six is? No, what is it? I say this as a concession, not a command. Wow. Paul even says it's not a command. <laughs> wow. But, okay. But let me tell you what the problem is here, Leslie. All right. We're going to get up close and personal right now. If I were to ask you, did you have sex last night? Mm-hmm. Which I'm not going to, you don't need to answer that. Okay. But yeah, if no. I were to ask you that, mm-hmm. what you, you're picturing something in your head. In fact, all of us are picturing you right now in our heads. It's super <laughs> awkward, right? <laughs> but we're picturing like something about penis and vagina move around to the clown. Like we're picturing intercourse. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the problem with that definition. If that's what we think sex is, you could be lying there making a grocery list in your head, Mm -hmm. right? Like not even there. You could be lying there in emotional turmoil or you could even be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Yep. And is that, is that what we think God is saying? The ladies, you need to lie there no matter what you're feeling and let him use you. Is that what we think God is saying? Because our definition of sex leaves women out of the equation. And that's not the biblical definition of sex. And this is what y'all need to hear me on this. Okay. So if you look biblically, I'm going to give you three words. There's more. I could go into more depth. And in in, in our book, The Great Sex Rescue, we go into a whole bunch, but I'm just going to narrow it down to three. Genesis four, verse one. Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. Super easy to laugh at that verse and say, oh, God's embarrassed of the real word. But the the Hebrew word there for to know 
It's the same word when David says in the psalm, search me and know me, oh God. Mm -hmm. It's this deep intimacy, this deep longing to be connected. So God is saying sex is more than physical. It's intimate. And then we know from Song of Solomon, they're rocking each other's worlds. Like it's pleasurable for both. Right. And the main point of 1 Corinthians 7 is that it's mutual. So we have a picture of sex, which is mutual, intimate, pleasurable for both. That's what you're supposed to be doing. One-sided intercourse where she's not feeling anything means she is already being deprived and those verses don't even apply. Ha! 100. <laughs> Say that, Sheila. Say it, girl. <laughs> it's true. It legit is true. And that's the thing, though. It, like, you get... And I don't want to, and I'm not, and I always say I want to set that as not every church. I'm just saying the way I grew up and the way I've often talked to majority of women, they get the mindset of, hey, I have to be there for my husband. Like, and Mm -hmm. the word that I hate when it's called be there. Like, it just tells me insane to hear that you have to be there for your husband. Like, as if Mm -hmm. (laughs) he needs to and I do think, like, I, I totally believe that sex is an important part of marriage, Absolutely. but not one-sided sex, this mutual, intimate pleasure of both. That, that's what God designed. And the problem is, like, what we found is that 39% of women, evangelical women, when they got married, they believed something which we call the obligation sex message. And and we measured this. And it was um, women who said they believed uh, a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. So mm-hmm. you're under obligation to give him sex when he wants it. And often in the church, we talk about like the 72 hour rule, like he needs sex every 72 hours or he's going to explode or whatever it might be, right? Like he's not able, like he'll lust or, or whatever it might be. And the problem is that when we make sex into an obligation, her orgasm rates go down, her libido goes down, her ability to get aroused goes down, but most importantly, her rates of sexual pain skyrocket. Yeah. Because evangelical women suffer from vaginismus, which is a sexual dysfunction. It's a painful, it, it's it's when the wall walls of the vaginal, um, of the vagina tense up and contract and it, penetration becomes difficult, if not impossible. We suffer from that at twice the rate of the general population. Wow. Wow. Like this is our problem. And the reason is because of the messaging around it. And the obligation sex message is one of the biggest reasons. And if you believe this, your chance of experiencing vaginismus goes up to almost the same extent as if you'd been abused. There's like a 0.1% difference in the confidence intervals. And that means that our bodies interpret this message as trauma. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it, that yeah. is mind blowing to me. The first time yeah. I ever heard you say that, I was just like, wait a minute. But it makes sense. If you feel like you have to lay there and take it, it's mm-hmm. almost like it seriously takes you to that whole like sexual abuse mindset where it's like, it I just got to sit here and take it. Just take it. Think about anything else. Just deal. Yeah. You know? And this is what so many of our books tell us, though. Like that's what we did too is, is we looked at, um, 13 of the best selling evangelical sex and marriage books and the obligation sex message was everywhere. Like, um, in sheet music, for instance, Kevin Lehman says like that your period is a difficult time for your husband. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so women have found that if they give oral sex or, um, hand jobs during your period, it helps him not watch pornography. That's absolutely or, ridiculous. Or if you're not feeling well um, or you're postpartum, 
Um, you can give him a hand job when he's ready to climb the walls. And like, this is the attitude that we hear constantly is, so when you are postpartum, the main consideration should be that he still ejaculates the same number of times. In fact, the book intended for pleasure actually says that, that, that when you're in the period of abstention, you should make sure that he gets release as frequently as he did beforehand. So this is a woman who just pushed a baby out of her body. That's crazy. And these books are telling her that the main concern should be, should be him. And again, I'm all for sex and marriage. I'm all for amazing sex and marriage, but these messages are killing her sex drive and her ability to get pleasure. And we got to stop it. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the thing. I, I don't know if it's because, like I said, me being, you know, a sex ed teacher and I found, you know, my, you know, as a comfort level, like for me, it was just like, eh, you know, let's talk about it. Let's whatever, you know, because I almost have to be that way amongst high school students. The fact that even amongst women, I'm finding that they're uneducated on a lot of things to deal with sex. Mm -hmm. And then they're getting into these marriages coming from a sheltered Christian background and then getting in being like, you know, popping out children. And then you talk to them and they're like, Oh wait, what? It was supposed to be pleasurable? Mm -hmm. Like I don't understand. What do you mean? You just do it. It's part of your wifely duties. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And so which brings me to this point here where it says traditional assumptions of Christian wives, I was one of them, obviously. I anyway, another stuff. I um because the thing was with the traditional mindset of, oh hey, you're a Christian wife, you need to be there for your husband, you need to do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. Um that's what me and my husband had to be educated on. We didn't understand because we grew up thinking, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. He owns your body. When he wants it, you give it up. You know, if he taps you mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, you need to turn over. Like that type of mm -hmm. mindset. So when I got married, that's initially how we thought it was supposed to be. And I'm telling you, there were nights I would cry because I'm like, I don't want to have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, and I'm telling you, once I came on the other side of that and understand how it was supposed to be, and my husband understood how it was supposed to be, we both were like, oh my gosh, we cannot believe we even put ourselves through that. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. communication and talking, people don't understand that should be a part of your sexual experience. You know, communicating, yeah. letting them know, you know, speaking up, like, but it's not something that gets taught. <laughs> no. No. And I think we've really created um, sex into an entitlement for men and an obligation for women, um, which is really ironic because it's not even like men always have the higher sex drive too. Like people forget that, mm -hmm. right? Like, yes, in 58% of marriages, he has the higher sex drive, but in 19%, she does. Right. And in 23%, it's shared. Mm -hmm. So if you're a higher drive wife and your husband never wants sex, and everyone in the church is just telling you, you need to give it up for him, but no one's telling him what, like that he needs to do. Like it's, it's a very lonely place. And so we just have to find a much healthier way mm -hmm. of talking about this stuff. And that's what we're trying to do in the great sex rescue. Yeah. And I completely agree. Like I, cause like I said, before I knew there was a Sheila, um, mm -hmm. I had started to like talk to different women after I, like I said, initially heard from um, one wife and was talking to her and she was saying how like no I don't understand what you mean like this is supposed to be pleasurable whatever so I started talking to other women and other women and other Christian Christian girls who grew up in church like we all grew up in church but you didn't know like how it was supposed to go like you didn't even know what you were doing the night of especially if your husband mm -hmm. was working you didn't have an idea of what you were doing 
And so yeah. it becomes a such a taboo topic, but it needs to be discussed. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's the thing that that drives me insane is that the lack of. And I remember that I heard you on a podcast recently, and you re- referenced several of the books, like um, that we read growing up. Um, and I forgot the um, there was one particular that you had mentioned, but yeah, how they have this mindset of hey, you know, if you don't do this, he's gonna do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. Yeah. to the point where it says, oh, I better give it up or he'll give it, get it from somebody else. That's yeah. what also gets taught amongst people. Yeah. And I mean, a love and respect certainly says that Emerson Egrich's book, love and respect says that yes, um, a, a husband has a need for physical release. Um, it, it, it's not a woman's need. She doesn't need sex. Only he does. And, um, he says that most affairs are caused by women not having sex, um, in every man's battle, they call women the methadone for their husband's sex addictions. They literally say to women, when he quits cold turkey, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. So you, he gets to just use you to satiate himself so he doesn't go for what he really wants. Like it really is. It's a very disgusting message. Um, it's so and it's toxic. very, it's degrading to both men and women. Yeah. Cause you know what? Most good guys, most guys are good and they actually want real intimacy and they want their wives to feel good. And, you know, you were saying, um, you know, when you first got married, you felt like, like, I just have to give it up when he wants it. And like, that's the line he was fed to, but we talked to so many women where their husbands didn't believe that. Their husbands actually didn't believe that. It's just that the books that these women read, they internalized that message. And so it wasn't like their husbands were saying, you need to do this for me. It was that they were pressuring themselves. And then, um, and then that has those really super negative repercussions. Someone saying the author must have, have left their brain, I assume about the methadone thing, but I'll tell you, I don't know because it's everywhere. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, I agree with you. I think that was absolutely ridiculous. But when you look at our evangelical books, it's throughout, it is just throughout our books that women need to have sex so their husbands don't watch porn. Um, All men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle. He can't help it. And so you need to be there to help him like fight that battle. And it's just a very demeaning view of both men and women, Mm -hmm. as well as not being scientifically accurate whatsoever (laughs) right exactly exactly especially the women who say they've been married for you know 10 plus years and don't they they've never had any pleasure from it and i'm like yeah i don't don't understand and a lot of them will say well you know because you know most of the time it's just painful and i'm like sweetie you're like you know you know Mm -hmm. you use the hand to be like oh yeah you know that's no big deal it happens all the time no that's not okay most of the time it's painful there's yeah. something wrong. Something needs to yeah. be done. You need to communicate number one with him. Be like, move, <laughs> or, yeah. or go if there's if there's literally internal, um, what is it? Uh, pain that mm-hmm. needs to be communicated to your OB or your your yeah. OBGYN. Like, yeah, pelvic floor physiotherapy. Get pelvic floor physiotherapy, please. It really does help. Yes, because yes. nobody should feel pain, and and Christian women do experience it at much higher rates. And so, absolutely, please get help. But you know, um, let's talk about the number forty-seven. Okay, okay. You ready? Okay, so that's our orgasm gap. Ninety-five percent of men almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter. Only a little over forty-eight percent of women do. So we have a forty-seven-point orgasm gap. So think about this: you're sitting in church, 
and your pastor is telling you how you need to prioritize sex more. You need to have sex more because it's important for your marriage. But you've never had an orgasm. See, we frame the main problem in Christian circles as couples not having enough sex. That's not the main problem. Frequency is a symptom. It is not the problem in and of itself. Because, okay, are you ready? I'm going to list five things here. Get ready, okay? okay? When women have high marital satisfaction, when they feel emotionally close to their husbands during sex, when they frequently orgasm, when there's no porn use, and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency takes care of itself. It's very rare that there are problems with frequency. Oh, so if, if somebody has no libido, whether it's her or him, we need to start asking why instead of just giving sermons on how you should have sex every day for seven days or something like that. Okay. Because having sex for seven days when she doesn't reach orgasm ever is going to do nothing. And let me tell you, a whole lot of women out there think they're broken. I know. It's a whole lot of women out there say, I don't have a clitoris or my clitoris doesn't work or my vagina doesn't work or whatever. But here's what happens. Okay. You get married and you're naked for the first time. You, have, you feel so awkward. You have no idea what to do. And he just pushes it in because that's what you're supposed to do. And it feels weird and you don't know, and, but he really enjoys himself. And so this keeps happening. And what we women think is, I guess I'm just not sexual. Sex just isn't for me. He enjoys it and I don't. And he wants it all the time and I don't. Or we wonder, like, why don't I have any libido? Honey, why would you want sex if sex feels lousy? It's right, not that you sure. don't have a libido. It's like, why would you, like, how many of us like going for pap smears, <laughs> you know? But, like, how many of us, for how many of us does sex feel almost the same? Exactly. It's true. Be because if he starts feeling up there when she's not aroused at all it feels like a pap smear because yeah. we don't understand how to work with a sexual response cycle we don't understand how our bodies work and how how to get to arousal and how women are not broken if we take more foreplay oh here let me give you another stat you're gonna like this one okay okay so when women frequently orgasm, we asked both men and women. So um, some of these stats are in our new book, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which comes out next week. So you can pre-order it right now. Good Guy's <laughs> Guide to Great Sex, the all new Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. They're out on Tuesday. Um, so we wrote The Great Sex Rescue where we surveyed 20,000 women. Then we surveyed a bunch of men. And so, so I'm going to combine the two stats. All right. So when women frequently orgasm, over 90% of both men and women say that he does enough foreplay. Okay. Ooh. Which makes sense. She's Ooh. orgasming. Everyone thinks she does enough foreplay. Yeah. When women don't orgasm, 71% of men still say they do enough foreplay, but so do 52% of women. Oh, wow. So she's not orgasming and we're all still giving him pass a passing grade. Mm. Okay. And and I think it's because we think it's our fault. We just think, well, he's trying. I'm just broken because we don't understand that most men can reach orgasm in like three minutes and most women take at least 14. Yeah. At least. Okay. And that doesn't include all the lead up. Right. And so you're not broken if you require more. You're mm -hmm. really not. And we just need to learn how to work with a sexual response cycle. And I just want people to understand that. And that's the thing that's so heartbreaking to me because your, your, your experience in that and with sex and your husband should be something that is like 
you look forward to, not something that you're mm-hmm. like traumatized and you're like literally mm-hmm. mentally like imbalanced when it comes to like, oh my gosh, okay, okay, let me get my head together. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah. No, it should not be like that. It should not be a duty. It should not be a responsibility, an obligation. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be any of those things. And when I have talked, I'm telling you, which you know, but just for the mm-hmm. audience in general, I have talked to several women who have seriously grew up again in a Christian bubble and just don't know any any better. And it's miserable for them. And it literally brings me to tears. The mm-hmm. amount of women and well, anger as well, but mostly tears because it's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like how sad mm-hmm. that you don't know. And I feel like, you know, with me, I'm literally going to like as much as possible, educate women as much as I can. And like um, Rhonda hit the nail on the head when she said the narrative needs to change. And that's exactly yeah. how it is. It all needs to just change. The mindset needs to be shift. Um, Stella said, this is really interesting. I'm glad you're enjoying it, Stella. Uh, Nessia said, okay, she we come in <laughs> on that one. Nessia said, women have been told for years that if they don't satisfy their husband's needs, another woman will. It's crazy. Yeah. Let me give you an example of that. Okay. And this is because a lot of the books that we looked at for the great sex rescue were written a, a while ago. Um, um, and so you can kind of give them a bit of grace if they got things a little bit wrong, but there was a book out in October. So just a couple of months ago, um, written by Gary Thomas, who's quite a famous marriage author. And he mm-hmm. actually read the great sex rescue. Okay. So he read it early because I asked him to endorse it and he declined, which is fine. People can decline it. But he had these anecdotes about women who um, sent nude photos to their husbands. And he said that one woman did it because then neurologically his brain would fixate on her naked body instead of someone else's. Um, now. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead think about... Go. Think about how that is pressuring. And then he talked about another woman who was reluctant to do this, but then realized she didn't want to unnecessarily deny him. So it's his right to have nude photos of her. And so she did it and then he loved it. And so this is an author pressuring women. He's actually coercing women into sending nude photos to their husbands. That is wholly inappropriate. It's a whole Look, if you all if you want to, if y'all want to send nude photos, like you are married, you can do that. I would just say, be very careful because things can get hacked. And if you die in a flaming car, car crash, you do not want your mama seeing those things. Right. So right. we got to like, be careful. Um, plus there is such thing as revenge porn. So if you're, if your relationship isn't safe, you don't know what's going to happen to those photos. So we, exactly. we need to be very, very wise. And then the other issue is that if he has a porn issue, you cannot defeat porn by becoming porn. No. Okay. Like this is, this is really, this is really important. So you know what, if y'all really want to do it, that's fine. You go for it, but we need to be very, very careful because, because this is something which can actually be quite dangerous and is puts women in a very vulnerable position. And to tell women that if you don't like the reason you do this is so that he doesn't watch porn, that's just wholly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. as well as again being wrong and yet this is what is being taught in the christian world and it needs to stop and the reason this is happening is because we don't have like we we don't we we see sex so much from a male point of view and we don't realize like this is a really vulnerable thing for women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're messing it's not like men are benefiting from this though 
Like they're not happy either because what people, God did, God designed us to want real intimacy and real passion, which, which only comes when you've got a real emotional vulnerability and a really strong spiritual intimacy and, and all of that. Like sex is the culmination of a healthy marriage. It doesn't create a healthy marriage. Boom. And, oh. and so we need to put things in the right order here. Yeah. And see, if people could just uh, uh, get that understanding and, and, and like, guys, and that's why I'm going to, as soon as we get towards the end, I'm going to pull up um, all of Sheila's books, like, and then also you can go on Amazon and, and search her as well and pull and pull up the rest. But, um, cause you know, clearly, well guys, you know, I'm not a, a mom, but there's also great stuff, resources for mom as, as well on there. So mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to share, share, share in just a minute. Um, uh, Lois, love you. <laughs> um, uh, and then June says, so glad you're not afraid to have real talk about um, issues that women and men really face. And June, she's so good. Like as far as her podcast as well, that's also a good way to hear from her as well. She said, oh, mm -hmm. yes, it's the product of a healthy marriage. It doesn't produce a healthy marriage. And that's right, June, 110 mm -hmm. percent. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Lois is saying, even though I'm not married, I'm married, but everything is definitely true about what you both are saying. It's a hundred. Yeah, you're mm -hmm. right. And you know, thing, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, let, let me say this to single people too, because here's something that I think really hurts the single people is the narrative. Um, and here's another uh, message that we studied that has really bad effects. All men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle, right? We hear that all the time. And so, um, you know, and, and what is the response? So then women need to cover up. We need to dress modestly. We need to make sure we don't tempt them because all men struggle with lust. Okay. When women believe that our libido tanks, like secular women have higher libidos than evangelical women because our messages have killed our libidos. Mm -hmm. Okay. So our libido tanks, um, we're more likely to have sex only because we feel like we have to, once we're married, um, our orgasm rates, like all kinds of bad things. Okay. So it's just a bad message all around. When men believe it, they're more likely to watch porn. Um, they're less likely to have intimacy in their marriage, like all kinds of bad stuff. Okay. Bad message. But here's the other thing. The idea that all men struggle with lust. We asked guys, we thought, okay, let's see if it's even true. 75% of men said, yes, I have a daily struggle with lust. So not all men, 75%, that's not all. Yeah. But, but then we gave them a whole bunch of different scenarios. Okay. Like you see a woman here, 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 here. And we said, okay, in this scenario, what would you do? And of the people who said they struggled with lust, almost half would not lust in any of the scenarios that we gave. And they don't watch porn. Wow. So they're not really struggling with lust. Here's the issue. Okay. In the church, we have equated the objectification of women with male sexuality. We've made them one in the same. And we tell guys you're, you're lusting when you're just simply noticing a woman is beautiful. Jesus never said that noticing a woman is beautiful or seeing cleavage means that you have lusted. Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lust, deliberate action with a deliberate mindset. Okay. Seeing is not lusting. Noticing is not lusting. And we are causing so many of our young 11, 12, 13 year old boys so much shame because we're making them think they're lusting when they're not. And if they think like, well, if I'm sexually attracted to someone, I have sinned, then they go through life and it's just, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and then we're allowing, but then at the same time, we're allowing these bad guys who really do lust to say, oh, well, every guy does it. Like every man's battle literally says, we understand why, um, 
another reason for men's sexual sin. We got there naturally simply by being male. So God created men to lust is what they're saying. That's horrible. Absolutely. Yeah. Horrible. And then, and then the book talks about how to defeat lust. And the idea is to bounce your eyes. So you never look at a woman. Jesus didn't refuse to look at women, people. Jesus chose to truly see women. Right. That is a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And women are not the enemy, but that book asks men to make a list of their enemies when they're trying to defeat lust. And one of the enemies they list is female joggers. Oh my so they God. Call, they call female joggers the enemy. Oh my goodness. Jesus wow. would never do that. But this is the rhetoric that's in the church. And so let me just tell you, single ladies, if you are dating someone and they start blaming you for their lust, run, mm -hmm. run. That's not a healthy person. Or just start having that conversation, you know, like, what does it mean to, to, to lust versus noticing? Cause we need to get this conversation right. Cause you're not to blame if someone else sees you in a certain way. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And the thing is, it's like, one thing I, I, I'm glad you said that when you had said about, um, you know, the author saying that, you know, women should send their husband's nudes. So their husband will look at them and not worry about the whatever. Anyway, the, oh, sorry, that just enrages me. But the thing with that is people need to understand. And this is something I teach my students as well. When we cover nudity um, and them sending nudes and things to different people, I tell them there is something called your digital footprint. Mm -hmm. It is just as vital as your fingerprint. It will mm -hmm. go with you for the rest of your life. Things mm -hmm. that you delete. And, and please, everybody, please hear this. It doesn't matter. Like I tell my students, okay, I teach high school. So again, mm -hmm. guys, I already said the disclaimer. This is for mature audiences. So I'm going to mm -hmm. say what it is. So when the students in the class, I tell the boys, even if you use your cell phone to take a picture of your ding-a-ling and you don't, mm -hmm. and you, and I say ding-a-ling to my mm -hmm. students, but mm -hmm. clearly the, the proper term is penis. But when they, when they take a picture and even if they leave it in their phone, guess what? It gets pulled to the cloud, immediately mm -hmm. pulled to the cloud. So even mm -hmm. if you delete this, you delete the picture and then you say, okay, it's going to stay there for 30 days. Well, technically, unless you delete it. No, mm -hmm. you can delete it. And yes, it's permanently gone. No, it is permanently gone from your view. It is not mm -hmm. permanently gone. It is now mm -hmm. in cyberspace. So mm -hmm. I had a, a computer scientist come in and break down for the students exactly how she could pull things down that they thought were deleted. So guys, even if, you know, it's great. I mean, like, like Sheila said, mm -hmm. like, if you choose to do that, you and your husband, fine, you're married, he can see your naked body, whatever. But please mm -hmm. just be mindful of your digital footprint. It does not delete. It does not yeah. go away. So. Yeah. Just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> yeah. I love that you did that for the students. That is awesome. I literally scared the living daylights out of them. Well. Amen. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> One of them were like, wait, wait, wait. No, man, you tripping. You tripping. I was like, okay. So then I had a friend who worked as a um, uh, computer forensics thing or whatever for the FBI. I mean, not the FBI, for the military. And so she came in and was like, oh, really? Let me just show you. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so all those things they thought were deleted, it easily can be pulled. All you need is a good hacker. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't even take that much because let's be for real, we don't have top security on our phones. No, no, not at all. You know, so it's just, eh, anyway, it's just one of those things that I want people to be aware of as well. Um, okay, guys. So here, let me just do a quick pause for this commercial break. So um, Sheila's book that she was referencing, The Great Sex Rescue, is phenomenal. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you can tell here, the subtitle says it all. The lies you've been taught and how to recover um, what God intended. Okay, so this Mm -hmm. is all uh, um, in her book, The Great Sex Rescue. And Sheila, how long ago did this one come out? Uh, It's a year ago last Wednesday. So it's just a year old right now. So yeah. Yeah. And everybody right now go to Amazon and read the reviews, just read the reviews because it's just changing lives. And uh, yeah, you can just have some fun. There's like over 1300 of them. You don't need to read them all, but just read what people are saying. Cause this is, this is a book unlike any other. People are just saying, I feel validated. I finally feel seen. Like I understand what, why everything got so messed up and I feel hope for the first time. So it's just, that's so amazing. Really, it really is validating. Yeah. It's like freeing yes. and liberating as well. Like mm-hmm. it's just like mm-hmm. I, I like I had said off the air. Like I just feel like it's like one of those things, free is just the best way to explain it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also 31 days to great sex, love, friendship, and fun. Do you want to talk a little bit on that one? Yes. Yeah, so this is just this isn't like a book, book, book. This is this is. I mean, it is a book, but it's not to teach you. It's it's 31 days of challenges just to grow sex. So it starts from. You know, you picture a couple that maybe things just aren't working and you're just going to go step by step. So it's not 31 days of great sex, it's 31 days to great sex. So there's lots of fun exercises, you know, how to affectionate, how to figure out how our body works, all kinds of fun stuff. Cool. I just ordered this one. So that one I wasn't familiar with. Um, And then the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. That yes. one and this one, guys. Yes. The good guys to great sex come out next week, right, Sheila? Yes, they do. And these are like like the great sex rescue is tearing down the bad teachings we've had in church and setting people free. These books are like saying, okay, once we've torn down, how do we rebuild? Like, how do we build something healthy from the ground up? Kind of like Ecclesiastes, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them together. So mm-hmm. we were scattering in the great sex rescue. Now we're now we're gathering them together. We're building the walls back up and we're we're showing what it looks like. So these are great. I want these to be the go-to bridal shower gifts, you know, like give them, they're perfect for people who are about to get married. If they read these, they will never need the great sex rescue, which would be awesome. And then maybe the book will be all, my goal is for to have the book obsolete in five years because we've just, we've changed the conversation. That's Um, awesome. But even if you've just been married for a couple of years, these books will just help you figure out how things are supposed to work in every way, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm I'm so excited about it. I'm I'm serious. Every time I I know I've said this like five times. I'm just so excited that I stumbled across your ministry. So yeah. um yeah, guys, and there's also if you are a podcaster and you like mm-hmm. listening to the podcast, there's also uh the bear the bear marriage podcast. Uh mm-hmm. Sheila, oh my gosh, I'm enjoying listening to that as well. Um, I'm a Sheila stalker, guys. It's kind of bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every Thursday, yeah, we have yeah. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, she's, I mean, hits the topics head on um, and says what needs to be said without having mm-hmm. to be like, okay, like this is your flower. And with your flower, <laughs> <laughs> watering can to water it. No. Yeah, yeah. Real talk. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, is there any other comments, questions, concerns, guys? That you guys would like for Sheila before I let her go. 
Um, and guys, stay tuned. Uh, uh, Leslie said what season three is back. So we will be back, obviously, the next uh, Monday with a new topic. So um, feel free to jump in, join the conversation each week here at 7 p.m. Eastern. I hope you guys are um, enjoy today's show. Sheila, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so much. And if you could just stay on, Sheila, real quick before I end it. Yeah. You. Ah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, <laughs> Connie. <laughs> um, yes. So literally, if you could just stay on for a second, I'm going to pull you out. Um, okay. Guys, we're going to say goodbye to Sheila, but thanks again, Sheila. <laughs> Thank you. It's been great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Also, I forgot to say to follow Sheila. You can follow her. Um, Sugar. Oh, Sugar. That's her name now. It's Sugar. Uh, Sheila, Sheila Gregoire is on Instagram. Um, you can check out her her uh, website. You can go on um, her Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. It, honestly, if you go to Sheila uh, Gregor, Gregor, Gregor everything is there. Um, it's an, a link to uh, Love, Honor, and Vacuum, which is a great blog that she does, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So feel free to visit, follow, and buy, buy, buy the books. All right, guys. <laughs> Leslie said what? <laughs> Season three, okay, can you believe it? I still can't believe it. Episode one is...